0: When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What, do you? what work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that my Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life and will raise him up on the last day. This is reading of God's word. Thanks be to God.
1: Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we, uh, having heard your word, um, we ask... For uh, you to illuminate our hearts and our minds uh, so that as we reflect on what we have just heard read to us and as we will explore here um, in the next few moments, we pray that the meditation of, uh, of all our hearts and the words of my mouth would be pleasing to you, our Lord and our rock and our Redeemer. We ask that you would do this by uh, your spirit um, who makes known to us spiritual truths and uh, we pray uh, that he does that here in these next few moments. And Give us hearts that are humble and receptive to, to hearing and receiving your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So we are... <coughs> Just to remind ourselves a little bit of where we are in this uh, in this passage, um, before we took our little break last week for uh, Resurrection Sunday, uh, I want you to look at the beginning of Ch- John chapter six. And if you see at the beginning of John chapter six, we saw a couple of the signs that uh, John has in his gospel. There's there's many signs that Jesus is. Uh, Indeed, the son of God, the son of man and the Messiah. And we saw two of those uh, two weeks ago. One was in the feeding of the five thousand. And remember, that's five thousand men uh, that were there. So it could have been more as much as 20,000 people. So it was the miraculous feeding of the, the crowds that were coming around Jesus and following Jesus on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. And they took the, um, uh, the fish and the loaves and then multiplied that out and were able to feed everyone. And then they had uh, overabundance left over at the end. And then as they were leaving, Jesus left from the crowd because the crowd was wanting to, to make Jesus king because of what they were providing, uh, what he was providing for them. And he left, and the disciples sailed across the sea, and Jesus appeared to them on the water. He walked on the water. And so that was a sign to them. So that's, this is, uh, as Steve read, this is the very next day from that. So I wanted to remind ourselves of what we were looking at a couple of weeks ago. The feeding of the 5,000 happened on one day. Jesus um, departs from the crowds because his time is not yet. He does not want them to the crowd to take him and make him king by force and as the disciples were sailing away that night Jesus walks to them on the water and it's the next day and now this passage that begins in verse 22 and you can see on the slide goes all the way to the end is is one long discourse uh, one event that's happening in the town of Capernaum in the synagogue there in the Capernaum so everything from verse 22 All the way through 71 is happening in this one location and there is a ton a ton of things we could be uh, exploring here there is a lot that this passage could teach us that God could teach us in here and so I really struggled. I wanted to do the whole thing all at once Um, and then yesterday I I just decided I go I can't do all of this all at once so I'm gonna break this down into a couple of parts uh, and then explore each of these. And that I'm glad that that happened because I don't think my voice would have made it through all the way to verse 71. So uh, this works out uh, really well. So here's the breakdown I want you to notice for this passage. Um, that's happening. Again, it's Jesus. It's happening in the town of Capernaum on the north side, northwest side of the Sea of Galilee. It's a fishing town there. It's happening in the synagogue there. And Jesus is the way of breaking this down is is who Jesus is talking to. So I want you to notice that in verse 22 it says the crowd. So I don't know if it's all 20,000 people. It's a maybe a significant number of people that are that were recipients of the bread and the fish and the loaves that Jesus had done the previous day. So that's who. Jesus's conversation partner is at the beginning. So the conversation that, re- that Steve read for us is with the crowd. Now notice verse 41. John says, uh, so the Jews grumbled about him. Now John uses a different term. He'd been using the crowd, the crowd, the crowd. And now he says the Jews, which is John's term for the religious authorities. So maybe the leaders of the synagogue. Or maybe there were people that were investigating to see what Jesus Jesus was doing. Remember, Jesus has already had interactions with the religious authorities. And um, it was uh, not, they don't think too fondly of him. As a matter of fact, it's already at this point that they're already seeking ways to punish him or even kill him. So that begins the conversation from verse 41 all the way through 59. We'll look at that next week. And then... Beginning in verse 60, Jesus is now addressing his disciples. Notice verse 60. And when many of his disciples heard what Jesus was saying to the religious authorities, right? So the religious authorities really are not Jesus' disciples. They're more just kind of, you know, investigating this guy and seeing what's going on. And it says, now many of his disciples heard what he had said. Now Jesus has a conversation with his disciples, and some of those disciples and when I say disciples, think more than just the 12. Okay, The disciples would be all of his followers of whom the 12 were a part. So it's his disciples he talks to here. And then it ends there with some of those disciples deciding, I don't, I'm out. I'm not going to be a follower of Jesus anymore. And that's when Jesus then turns to talk to the 12. Notice it says the 12 in verse 67. So in verse 66, and many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus turns now to the 12. So I want you to notice those four different groups. It's the crowd of people who are the recipients of the miracle, the sign of the feeding of the 5,000 men. It's the, the Jews, the religious leaders who are investigating him. And then he's talking that in particular to the disciples and then to just the 12. Today, we're going to look at Jesus's conversation with the crowd the crowd that was seeking after Jesus. Notice what it says in verse 24. So the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples. They themselves got into the boat and went to Capernaum. So they're doing the long sailing journey from the southeast side of the Sea of Galilee, which, remember, is about 13 miles uh, long from uh, the northern end to the southern end. And they are sailing Uh, The next day to go to Capernaum because that's kind of the the hometown, the home base setting. And notice it is they're seeking Jesus. Now, what are their motivations for seeking Jesus? Remember back in uh, chapter 6, verse 14. Verse 13, they just gathered all of the five barley loaves, uh, all the 12 baskets that were from the five barley loaves. And the people saw this sign. Okay, now... Notice that word sign. Sign here is John's term. It's, it's kind of like, um, you can put it this way it's a miracle with symbolism. It's a miracle with symbolism. It's a miracle, and there's something about the miracle itself that, has, uh, that is signifying or pointing to something else as a part of the miracle. And in this case, the sign is this multiplication of bread which becomes the, um, the subject matter when Jesus talks about being the bread of life in this, the rest of this chapter. So they saw this sign, and they go, well, this is the prophet who is coming into the world. And then verse 15, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. Notice what's happening here. They are recognizing because of Jesus' miracle, this sign, um, they are seeing in this sign an opportunity for them to benefit materially or according to their physical needs. And and this will become clear because of Jesus' response to them when they find him. But they're seeking uh, Jesus here. You're already starting to get a a little bit of a uh, questions about their motives for why it is they're seeking him. They're seeking him because well, we got to eat and it was free, free food. I I think of this crowd and I think of. um, Without citing any particular cities or locations, but I think uh, this the phenomenon of certain regions of the country or certain cities that all vote in one direction and have voted in one direction for decades. And they do so because they believe that that individual or that party that they are voting for will get us what our community needs or get us what we want. Have you noticed this sort of phenomenon too? You are voting for elected leaders because they're going to get us free stuff. Mm -hmm. This is what's happening here. They want Jesus to be king, not because they believe he truly is the Messiah, but because he's going to get us stuff. It's always something sinful about the human heart that seeks to select leaders thinking of what uh, that leader can, can give them. So notice when they find him, in verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Now, when they're saying, when did you get here? I think they're trying to figure out in the time they're wondering how he got there. Remember, they saw that there had only been one boat. Jesus didn't get in that boat. And then that boat had gone away so they're like well that Jesus is not here and they go to Capernaum and then they find Jesus there and they're sitting here figuring out we sailed directly here Jesus didn't sail how in the world did he get here right and so that's what they're asking and Jesus should have said I walked (laughs) on the water across (laughs) I walked but notice he's not answering their question in verse 26 they're like Rabbi, when did you get here? How, how did you get here so quickly? Verse 26, Jesus goes, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me. Remember, verse 24, they were seeking Jesus. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me. Not because of the signs. Not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. It's a pretty strong, harsh comment from Jesus. Isn't it? He doesn't answer their question. Instead, he questions their motives. And it calls them out on their motives. Immediately. It's not because you saw the signs. And here's John's word again. It's not that you saw the miracle, which is crazy to say because they were beneficiaries of the miracle. What he's saying here is it's not because you saw the sign. You you saw the miracle, but you didn't see what the miracle pointed to. And you're not here because you saw what the miracle pointed to. You're here because you just want more food. You want me to give you more free stuff. I, 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 I love, these are, this is one of those moments where you, here you get the real Jesus, who's willing to call people out right there and question their motives and saying, Jesus, where are you? I, I know why you're here. You just want me to give you free stuff. That's not the Jesus that makes it into a lot of devotionals. He calls them out for their impure motives. You want the, you don't, you want the gift. You don't want the giver. So here's the, 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 the lesson, I think, that's right here in those passages. Not everyone who seeks Jesus really seeks the real Jesus. Not everybody who seeks Jesus really seeks the real Jesus. And I could think of um, probably the greatest example of that today in our church in, in this part of the world would be the, the progressive Christian movement. I've spoken about this often, but uh, but progressive Christianity, which fashions a certain kind of Jesus, a Jesus that's all about justice. But is uh, totally open and cool with certain kinds of sins. Um, A Jesus that is all about helping to bring restoration to the world, but a Jesus who won't come as the judge of that world. A Jesus who is a great teacher and guide, if it fits you. If you like other kinds of teachers and guides too, maybe Jesus fits along with him like a Buddha or something else. Again, I'm talking about this form of Christianity. Christianity. But they don't want a Jesus who suffered and died on a cross. So, uh, it's, I think we get pretty good examples in uh, the Christian church today that there are people who are seeking Jesus, but they're only seeking a portion of Jesus, a sliver of Jesus, a slice of, of Jesus, or a Jesus that they conceive in their mind. But they don't seek the real Jesus. So not everyone who seeks Jesus really seeks the real Jesus. And this crowd that is seeking Jesus is not seeking the real Jesus. So notice what Jesus commands them then here uh, immediately after that. Uh, Right after calling into question their motives, notice what he says here. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. I want you to notice the distinction there between two different types of food. Food that perishes, which would be food, it's like this kind of food, or the food that we're going to share. Jesus is contrasting that with more of an eternal food, or a food that will bring eternal life. And he says, if you want to, if you want to work for something, work for the food that comes up to eternal life which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him the Father set his seal. Now, in reading this, I can't help but think uh, of Isaiah chapter 55, and there's some other indicators here. A little later on, uh, Jesus uh, quotes from Isaiah 54, just a few verses Earlier, But it's in the same um, oracle from Isaiah here. But I want you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 55. This is coming at the end of Isaiah. After the, the, the man of sorrows, the servant of the Lord, is depicted in chapter 53 as the one who will bear Israel's griefs, carry their sorrows, wounded for their transgressions, crushed for their iniquities, Upon the chastisement, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. This servant who says, the servant is who it says that the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. That he was like a lamb led to the slaughter. And then in 54, you have this, this, uh, Song of this covenant of peace that will come as a result of what the servant does in 53. And that song extends in 54 all the way through 55. And a little bit later in this passage, in John 6, Jesus quotes from a line there, but when, um, you know, they didn't have the little smaller verse divisions like they did. They thought of whole blocks of passages. Mm -hmm. And so 54 and 55 usually go together. But what I want you to notice is this This notice the grace of Isaiah 55 verses 1 through 9. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Well, if you don't have any money, how can you buy something? Except that it's a gift. Come and buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligent to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways, your ways, my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. What a wonderful passage. Isn't that an amazing passage right there in Isaiah in the Old Testament where he says, the offer is there. Come, buy. Don't work for food. Don't spend your money on that which isn't bread. And your labor for that which does not satisfy. Instead, come to me and I will, I will give. I will give you eternal life. I can't help but think that that's a little bit of behind of what what uh, the undergirds Jesus is teaching here in John chapter six, when he talks about the bread of life. And when he talks about when he gives it to them, don't labor as Isaiah's term, don't work for food that perishes, but work for the food that endures to eternal life. Jesus is saying the, the same basic call that Isaiah was saying there, come, come to me, come to me, Come to me for true bread. What the sign was pointing to was the eternal bread that he's going to talk about. Notice that just the grace, the offer to come to the Lord. But notice as well how the unbelieving, when confronted with the grace, turn it into works. Jesus says, don't work for food that perishes, but work for food that goes to eternal life. Come, come to me to buy food without price. And they said to him, Oh, he just mentioned eternal life. Right? Work for, work for food that goes to eternal life. And then they go, Oh, he mentioned, who doesn't want eternal life? This is, a, you know, a, the Jewish, we, we want eternal life. So they said, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Did you catch that? You see how Jesus is offering a free offer of grace. Come to me. We don't work for this kind of food. You went and sailed all the way across to come and chase me down, hunt me down. And you did it because you just want your stomach filled with earthly food. But the food that I gave you yesterday was a picture of what is an even greater feast that you would have if you, if you follow me. If you believe in me. And so come to me. And they go, well, tell us what we, we, we must do. Give us our to-do list. There were lots of Jewish teachers that were that day who were giving the to-do list for eternal life. And they numbered Jesus in with all of the others. And they go, okay, well, what, what's your list? What must be we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus how patient Jesus is. Jesus answered them, verse 29. This is the work, work? This is the work of God. Believe. This is the work of God that you believe in Him whom He has sent. I'm, I'm not sure which is worse. That they thought that Jesus was saying that what God required of them was to do works to eternal life, or that they thought that they could do them. And Jesus says, You're missing this entirely. The, the work of God is to believe in Christ. It's not really a work of, at all. And notice the crowd. Again, in verse 30, so they, again, this is the crowd we see in this context. So the crowd said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? Okay, so we believe, okay, you're saying that the work is to believe you, but you need to give us a sign. What, what sign are you going to do that we, may believe, that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Now at this, you just sit here and you kind of go, you, why are you here? You, you ate the bread yesterday. And now you're here demanding of Jesus another sign. Here's, uh, this is not a lack of faith. This is just hard heartedness. This is just unbelief, raw unbelief. To demand of Jesus a sign after you just chased him down because you saw him do the sign. You wanted to make him a king. And then he says, well, what you need to do is believe in me. Well, hold on. Time out. <laughs> You got to do another sign. And they even cite this in uh, verse 31. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. I can't help but think, and this is, uh, you know, to what happened with the Exodus in Exodus chapter 16. Where the Lord provided manna. And the Hebrew word for manna is what is it? They didn't know what, (laughs) what is this stuff. It's right here. We could make it and eat it. He provided that for them. And I think that it buried in that question or citing of that verse is this is what Moses did. Moses did a sign. Because that's what makes sense of Jesus's answer in verse 32. Then Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say, you, it was not Moses that gave you the bread from heaven. But my father gives the true bread from heaven. And for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Should be kind of clear what he's referencing. He's talking about, he's talking about spiritual bread. He's taking us from the sign to the thing that the sign signifies. He's saying that that bread was, is me. And that you don't just take the physical bread. You You, you take me by faith. And so you would think the crowd's getting this now, right? No, what do they say? Verse 34. Sir, give us this bread always. Which is very reminiscent to the, to the, the almost uh, uh, very similar to what the woman at the well says about Jesus talking about living water. And she goes, sir, same sir, give me this living water. And she, this living water that you speak of, because I don't want to come to this well anymore. You know, like she's saying, I don't want to come here. And she's still thinking of water, and Jesus is saying, No, water. <laughs> They're thinking bread. And Jesus is going, No, bread, because it's almost exasperated here in verse thirty five. Jesus said to them, I am the bread. We've been hinting at it all along. I am the bread. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. But at this point, Jesus has identified the real problem here. And like I said, it's not a lack of faith, it's unbelief. This is hard heartedness or stubbornness. Because notice what Jesus says in verse 36. But I have said to you, you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. You have seen me, and yet you do not believe. Here's the second point we can lessen here. Um, Unbelief is at root a heart issue. It's not necessarily a lack of evidence issue. Unbelief is a heart issue and not necessarily a lack of evidence. Of evidence issue. They were asking for more signs. Give us this bread. And Jesus goes, You only come here because you want your stomachs full. I'm the bread of life, and yet you you want me to give you physical bread when I'm offering you eternal bread. You've seen the signs, you've seen the evidence. And you do not believe, he says. It's just stubborn, hard, hard-hearted unbelief. Jesus ends with these, and boy, um, this, is, this is a passage that we could, would do deserve its own sermon. But let me just kind of give some thoughts here. You, you sense the, the bluntness of Jesus here, but I also don't feel like you, you sense a, a frustration on Jesus' part because he explains a little bit what's, what's underneath this unbelief here of the crowds. Verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven... Not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose nothing of all that he has given me, but will raise it up on the last day. Jesus is explaining that he's coming to do a will. Now, I want you to notice this. Uh, this year, And we're going to unpack this a couple of times in this John series. But I want you to notice this in verse 37. Well, for, verse 37 and verse 39. All that the Father gives me. In verse 39. I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. There is an identifiable, well, maybe that's not the right term to say. There's a specific group of people that are given as a gift from the Father to the Son. He mentions this in John chapter 10. He mentions it again in John chapter 17. John chapter 10 Jesus says, Verse
0: 25.
1: I told you and you do not believe the works that I do and my father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you're not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish and no one will snatch them. Out of my hand, my father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. Notice what he says there. There's a there's a specific group of people that are given by the father to Jesus, the son. My father, who has given them to me. And that's not the most offensive thing he says there, by the way, because they want to pick up stones and kill him at that point. But that's because he says, I and the Father are one. Jesus in his prayer in John chapter 17, the high priestly prayer. I glorified you on earth, verse 4, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. I glorified you, having accomplished work you gave me to do. When did the Father give him this work? Verse 5. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the foundation, before the world existed. I manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Notice verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. This is a big concept. Wow. There's a specific group of people. Whom the father has given as a gift to the son. And the son's purpose in coming is to redeem that group of people why Jesus is not frustrated at the hard heartedness and unbelief of these people because he says all that the father gives me they'll come to me and whoever comes to me I will never cast out those verses right here are emphasizing emphasizing the sovereign will of God in salvation but notice that verse 40 emphasizes Human responsibility in salvation. Verse 40. For this is the will of my father that everyone who looks on the son and believes him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. How do those go together? I don't know. (laughs) That's a mystery. That is really the mystery. Here's the call that goes out. And Jesus is even doing that to them. He's dropping this, these hints and these clues. And as I'm the bread of life, work for bread, buy bread without money, buy, buy, come to me and drink without price. And they just won't do it. But Jesus' mission is undeterred. He goes, all that the father has given to me, they will come to me. They will come to me. I've come down to do his will the will of him who sent me, and he sent me. Remember, this is talking about before Jesus was even born. This isn't what, Jesus was not selected after he was a grown human and goes, yeah, you're the one, I want to have you do my mission. No, before the foundation of the world, Jesus had this mission for this people. And yet, it says that everyone who looks on the son and believes him shall have eternal life. Friends, if if you look upon Jesus Christ, and you believe in Jesus Christ, we have this promise of eternal life. We have this promise that we spoke of last week of being raised in the future. Notice what he says in verse 40, 39. I shall lose nothing of all that that the Father has given me, but I will raise him up on the last day. Everyone who looks on the Son and believes him will have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. What what an amazing assurance Jesus is giving here. It's an amazing indictment to the crowd for their hard-heartedness. But to those who believe in Jesus, what an amazing assurance that is, isn't it? That from before the foundation of the world, Jesus Came for you. That if you come to believe in Jesus Christ, you believed. You looked on Jesus and you believed. And then yet you come to this realization that, and actually, this was the work of God with Christ before the foundation of the world. What amazing love is that? He saw, he didn't look in the future and see that you had some potential. He didn't look into the future and see, yeah, but he'll turn things around. He'll clean his life up. No, just the sovereign grace of God. And that he will continue to do that work that he began us. He is faithful to bring it to completion on the last day. Amen? Amen. May we not be like the crowds. Brothers and sisters, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you know you're coming to him for the real reasons. You're not coming to him for what he could give you materially in this world. You're coming to him for what he could give you eternally. You see his miracles and you see that's the Messiah. That's the servant of the Lord who took my punishment and my shame. That the stripes that I deserved, he took. And yet he did that from before the foundation of the world. Brothers and sisters, let's take take assurance in that grace. Let's marvel in that grace of God. Amen? Amen? Let's pray together. A gracious heavenly father, we again thank you for your word We thank you for your grace. We thank you for this truth that we have seen here that is a mystery to us. How it is that that you, Father, would, would save a people and give that people as a gift to your son, Jesus. And that before the foundation of the world, Jesus had that plan. That will that he was following in obedience. And we thank you that it's by by faith in Jesus Christ that we're numbered among those people. And conversely, that it's the fact that we are numbered among that people that we believe in Jesus Christ. God, help us to glory in that amazing grace. May, we, may you uh, help us to avoid any hard-heartedness that might creep up into us that demands signs or miracles or for you to perform one more, one more miraculous thing in order for us to believe in you. Instead, help us to just believe in you and trust in you and come to you as the one who offers bread without price. Eternal bread that does not perish. That salvation and eternal life with you forever make that true in our lives, and may we live according, accordingly, based on that truth. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's people said, "Amen." amen and "Amen." Friends, here uh, hear this benediction. And then our closing, uh, let's stand together. Um, here is our doxology and our benediction. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than we can ask of or imagine. To him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. And now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace be with you. Thank you.